You know, very recently, uh, a major, very well-known actor contacted me and said he was a supporter, a fan, supporter of Donald Trump, and he really wanted to have dinner. So uh, he flew to where, he wa where I was, but on the way here, he said, can we go someplace quiet where we won't be seen? I said, sure. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I really love you. I really love Donald Trump. I really support the America First movement. But despite my many credits on both movies and television, if that became known, I would literally never work again. Our guest today is not that man. John Rich is a singer, songwriter, entrepreneur, family man, who stands up for God and country and family, and he makes no bones about it. He has been outspoken on virtually every major important socioeconomic and cultural issue in the country where we are fighting the woke leftist agenda. Now, it would be very unfair uh, and unreasonable for me to interview a country and western superstar of this magnitude without playing a little bit of his music and we're going to do that right now I just want to run I just want to run away with you and live wide open set them on fire crazy like we used to do it don't matter where we're going up on the mountain down by the beach side till we find the love that we fell into Boy. 
John Rich, I want to welcome you to the Roger Stone Show here on WABC Radio. Folks, uh, you can listen to us uh, and this entire interview on WABCRadio.com. Uh, or if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, you can find us at 770 on the AM dial. But right now, call a friend or a family member and tell them to tune in because you're not going to want to miss this. John Rich, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. I appreciate that, Roger. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, looking forward to our conversation. It's amazing how many big people in entertainment, both music, uh film, TV, in their hearts, they agree with you and I, but they hide their light under a bushel. In other words, they're afraid to speak out. What I admire about you is that that that's not how you are. You understand that while there may be some downside to your career, although you seem to be doing amazingly well, uh, you stand for God, family, and country, and you really don't care Who's upset about it? I admire that. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I spent my whole life, uh, my whole adult life, uh, angling and working really hard in the country music industry. Uh, A little background on me. I grew up in a little town called Amarillo, Texas, up in the top of Texas in the Panhandle. Uh, We lived in a double-wide trailer, nothing fancy. Uh, My dad uh, has been a, a prison preacher for many, many years, priests in small churches or prison ministries, things like that. So, you know, we didn't go without food or anything like that, but it was it was pretty lean. Um, and I think when you grow up like that and you get down the road and you really start working hard at something big, like in my case, the country music world, trying to do it, man, you go after it with everything you've got. Because we have this thing called the right to pursue happiness. I always remind people it doesn't say you have the right to be happy. It says you have the right to pursue happiness. And uh, there's a big difference in those two things. And so I've always been a pursuer of happiness. I wanted to take advantage of of my inalienable rights uh, granted to me by God, the creator, not by the government, and just see what I'm capable of doing. Even though I'm a high school graduate and nothing fancy going on with my pedigree, hey, get out of my way. I'm an American. Let's see what I can do. So with that attitude, I took on the music industry, and over those decades, uh, I was uh, songwriter of the year with ASCAP for three years in a row. I I still don't think that's ever been duplicated. We sold millions and millions of records. I produced all kinds of other artists uh, that went multi-platinum. Gretchen Wilson, uh, to be one, she sold 8 million records. And so you've got all this success going. You finally got there. It took a long time to do it. And then what starts to happen? Well, the music industry, little by little, starts to be taken over by uh, ideology that is anti-American, anti-freedom spe- freedom of speech, anti-family. Um, and those people who are running those record labels that I was on would sit me down and say, now, John, stop talking about this subject. John, don't take that interview. John, don't go on that network. It's going to hurt your career. It's going to hurt your career. And for a few years, Roger, I'll be honest, I looked at that and went, well, man, that's, that's terrible. Because if I go do these interviews, if I go talk about these subjects, all this time, my whole life, I've been working to get to this point, and I'm going to lose it. 
over that, over over saying what's on my mind and what's on my heart. So for several years, I did not say those things. I stayed out of the way, which is what you were just talking about, how the majority of artists do it. But at this one point, Roger, I'm watching my two sons, uh, Cash, named after Johnny Cash, and Colt, named after Sam Colt, Cash and Colt. And they were about seven and nine at the time. And I find myself probably like a lot of Americans watching the news, talking to a television set, like, can you believe what these people are doing? You know, we're yelling at the TV, but then I'm walking out the door and putting my boots on and I'm going and playing patty cake on the red carpet with the same people I was just yelling at on television. And I realized, okay, that's called being a hypocrite. That's being a hypocrite. That is saying to yourself that, the approval of the music industry is more important to me than my freedom of speech or my integrity in front of my own kids. And when I finally realized that's what I was doing, I made the conscious decision of, you know what? I'm going to be an American first. I'm going to be a dad first. I'm the blueprint for my two boys as they grow up and they get out in the world. They're going to think back and go, well, how did dad handle it? When it when things went off the tracks, what did he do? Did he roll over, or did Dad stand stand up and not be moved? Which one did he do? And so, they now have that blueprint watching their dad. I will tell you, yes, I've lost the music industry. I've lost country radio. I mean, they won't touch me with a ten foot pole. But I have adopted the attitude of, you know what, Roger? If those people thought well of me, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Their their hatred for what I stand for is validation that I say it correctly. And so that's been my modus operandi now for probably the last five or six years, and I would not trade where I'm at today for anything in the world. Well, you and I have something in common. Uh, I uh, put myself through college playing the bass guitar, mostly just playing covers. Uh, when I was targeted in the Muller witch hunt, uh, and my wife and I essentially lost everything, I had to sell my prized Fender Precision bass to mm. raise money to pay my lawyers. You can imagine how happy I was when an evangelical pastor from uh, Tennessee uh, heard about this on the radio and sent me a beautiful jazz uh, Fender jazz bass. Now, I don't have an amplifier, but I still, uh, Sunday afternoons when I just want to think, just uh, sitting around with the bass guitars. It's very, very therapeutic. Uh, well, I know a guy in Nashville that could probably send you an amp, Roger. I bet we could hook you up. <laughs> All right. My neighbors would love that, that I guarantee it. You know, John, you have become increasingly concerned with the blatant disregard for parents' fundamental rights and their authority in the education and protection of their children. I know it's a grave concern to you and to many across the country that what we see is a deliberate attempt to groom our children through sexual content being promoted not only in the classrooms but in video games, uh, 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 in the media, uh, under the guise of education. I know you gave a speech in Tennessee to the legislature back in 2021 that really uh, is reflected in a new law that they have just passed in Texas that deals with pornography in the schools. This is a, a massive win. Tell us about that. So I was made aware uh, of the filth that was in all the public schools two or three years ago, in elementary schools even. And now, of course, we're all aware of it. We've all 
seen these pictures and, and read these narratives in these books, and we can't even believe that's allowed to be in a school. And so as I was getting up to speed with that back in 21, um, I thought to myself, well, this has to be illegal. I mean, if, if an adult was sitting in a city park uh, and had a bunch of little kids sitting there and was showing them pornographic pictures and reading pornographic stories, what would happen to that adult? Well, they, they would be handcuffed, dragged off to jail, uh, probably put on the child predator, predator list. I mean, they would have a serious problem on their hand. But they're able to do it inside the walls of a school because they, they term it as, quote, education. So I thought, yeah, that does not sound right. So I sat down on my own and I just started researching and looking up court cases and trying to find if this had ever been prosecuted before. And sure enough, uh, we have a federal statute. It's in Section 2422 of the United States Criminal Code. It's called a Federal Enticement Statute. And it targets the sexual grooming of minors. The, the statute's focus is on the intended effect on the minor rather than the defendant's intent to in, actually engage in sex, meaning just the intended effect of it. And they refer to it as grooming, by the way. That is, that is a federal law right now on the books in the United States. So if you want to look at it from that perspective, federal law is being broken all over the United States. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals said that child sexual abuse can be accomplished by several means and is often carried out through a period of grooming. That is their word. They always think that the right came up with this grooming word. No, that's in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals said that. They recognize that a grooming refers to deliberate actions taken by a defendant to expose a child to sexual material and that the ultimate goal of the grooming is to reduce the child's inhibitions. That is, that is set law. That is precedent in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. So I ran across that, and I started building this speech. I took that case, and I also took the FCC's standards. So Federal Communication Commission, they run television and radio. The radio station we're talking on right now uh, is overseen by the FCC. And the FCC says, uh, if I took one of those books that we're talking about in these schools right now and I read that book on the radio, if I read it on Roger Stone's show right now, the FCC would kick us off the air. They would find the station, no telling what they'd do. If I took the same book and showed those pictures on, on, a, on a television network, on a mainstream television network, the same thing would happen. So I put all that into this speech that I gave to the Tennessee legislature. I had five minutes on the clock. I gave it to them. It sparked a bill to be written. Uh, 1944 was the number of the bill in Tennessee. I thought we were going to get it passed, uh, but the governor of Tennessee, who is proving to be more disappointing by the day right now, Bill Lee, between him and a bunch of the rhinos uh, in the Tennessee legislature, they tabled the bill and it never got passed. Well, I thought, well, I lost. That's it. I got beat. I mean, how are you going to beat the system? I mean, I hit them as hard as I could with the facts, and, and man, I got, I got beat. But, but that was not the end of the story. A group called Moms for America, and I would, I would suggest every mother listening right now, go check out Moms for America and become a member of that group, 600,000 of them now across the U.S. Moms for America reached out to me, and they said, hey, we heard about the speech in Tennessee. Do you have the transcript? I said, yeah. So I sent them the transcript. They took that. 
and took it to the attorney general of Texas and said, look at this speech that John gave in Tennessee. They didn't pass it, but look what he pointed out here. And the AG in Texas got with his team and said, the FCC standard, that's exactly right. If you can't read it on a radio station or show the pictures on the television set, then why, is, why are the kids being exposed to it in a school? What's well, hard to argue with that? And so they put that whole thing together, and yes, uh, it just became law in Texas, and I'm told it's now passed the House and Senate of Louisiana and is sitting on the governor's desk in Louisiana. So my hope is that it comes back to Tennessee, but even bigger than that, I hope this proliferates throughout the U.S. and we see versions of this law passed in every single state. Uh, well, as folks, as you can see, John Rich is out there making a difference. If you're just tuning in, this is The Roger Stone Show here on WABC Radio. You can find us at 770 on the AM dial, or you can listen to this great interview and all of our programming at wabcradio.com. Uh, let's go back to Bill Lee, because I agree with you. Governor Bill Lee, uh, Republican of Tennessee, rhino of Tennessee, ran for governor as an outsider businessman, but has immediately been swallowed up by the local swamp. He's been trying to pass a red flag law in your state. You've been an outspoken advocate for the Second Amendment. Uh, but in the wake of the Covenant school shooting, you know, the left never has a tragedy. They never let a tragedy go uh, unused in their efforts. I know you have launched uh, a campaign against uh, Governor Lee's efforts to put in place these red flag laws that would unconstitutionally deny the gun rights to individual citizens if somebody in the government just didn't like your political attitudes. Uh, you're calling your campaign red flag down, uh, and I know you're out there working very hard to alert Tennesseans as to what's going on in your state capitol. Yeah, so uh, the governor of Tennessee, Governor Lee, uh, we actually have Republicans uh, recorded that they didn't know they were being recorded discussing how to, quote, rebrand a red flag law. Call it something else because if it's a if it's a red flag law, it'll never get passed in Tennessee. We have to rebrand this into something else. <laughs> I ran across that and I, I hit up a couple of guys that said that uh, big politicians in Tennessee, and I, I said, "How do you intend on rebranding this so a guy like me will swallow it?" Just called them out, and of course they immediately retreat. They start backing up. No, 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 you, you misunderstood. And I said, I don't think I did misunderstand. So what they're doing is, uh, is they're holding summer sessions. The governor is calling in three and four representatives at a time during the summer when nobody's paying attention and trying to strong arm them into voting for this. So for people that haven't dug down into red flag laws very deeply, basically what that says is let's say a, Let's say a, a husband and a wife or a boyfriend and a girlfriend or whatever, or your next door neighbor, somebody gets upset at somebody else and they call in to the police a red flag on the person they're upset at and say, hey, this person's acting mentally unstable. They're acting, uh, they're acting out. They're acting with violent attitude and they own firearms. I'm calling in a red flag law, calling in the red flag. The police and the authorities can then go without due process, and they can seize that person's weapons, force them uh, into a mental evaluation, 
and then the government decides whether they can have their weapons back or not. That is what is being proposed in the state of Tennessee. If Tennessee adopts that law, they will be one of only two red states at that point to have a red flag law. Would you like to know what the only state in the U.S. that's a conservative state with a red flag law is? Uh, the I think state I of know. Florida. Yeah, we, we know state that. state of Florida. Uh, signed, into yeah. law, signed into law uh, by a Republican governor. Uh, by the way, yeah, Rick Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, by the way, Governor Bill Lee is one of the seven Republican governors that Governor Ron DeSantis has promised the vice presidency to, by the way. Mm. Uh, OK, so, uh, look, I love the fact that uh, you named one of your sons after the great Johnny Cash. Uh, and I have to ask you, because I got a chance to listen to a lot of your music in preparation for this interview. Uh, and man, you really rock. Uh, who are your musical influences? In other words, uh, who has who has helped shape your sound, your style? When John Rich decides to relax and listen to music, who does he listen to? Man, I am I am all over the map with that. I, I will tell you some of my favorites to listen to. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the Rat Pack era. I love Sinatra, uh, love Dean Martin, love all that era of music. Uh, but then I also go deep into like the bluegrass world. So the, the Bill Monroe's, the Ralph Stanley and the Clinch Mountain Boys, Ricky Skaggs, those kind of guys. But then you keep coming around the circle. You know, it's a big circle of music. Uh, Johnny Cash, to me, was probably, I'm going to say was, the greatest songwriter that there ever was. And I think that because he, he conveyed more information with fewer words than anybody that ever put a pen to paper, in my opinion. Every word he said was just another hammer. Uh, so I, I, I've loved Johnny Cash. Um, you know, in the rock and roll world, man, Tom Petty, and you, you go back into some of the old, if you listen to Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy, one of our biggest songs, think about ACDC with a banjo and a fiddle. <laughs> that's what that's what Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy sounds like. So I'm a mashup of all those things. I've just I always enjoyed music that had authenticity to it. I think one of the things I don't like about modern music to a large extent is it seems very redundant. Uh, I, I tell people it sounds like they went to the school of redundancy school. That's what it sounds like to me. I love uniqueness. Uh, I love artists that, that just cut their own path. Merle Haggard, you go into Merle and Willie and uh, Loretta Lynn and some of those people. Uh, just they can't be duplicated. And, you know, I strive to be that kind of an artist. Uh, I've always uh, loved Johnny Cash, uh, Hank Williams Sr. and Jr., Lester Flatner Earl Scruggs. Oh, yeah. You can't get better bluegrass than that. Patsy Cline, of course. I like old country, I guess. Uh, and then I agree with you, Sinatra. Uh, just listening to Sinatra's phrasing is unbelievable. Everybody knows I'm also a giant fan of the world's greatest entertainer, Al Jolson. It's a different era, but uh, yeah. he was the biggest star of all time. The first guy who did a, a talking picture, the first guy to take a Broadway show outside of New York, uh, a hit on radio, uh, really a, a superstar. He was Elvis before Elvis was Elvis. And of course, who doesn't love Elvis? Uh, there is a new movie coming out that uh, I've been reading about. I know you have too. Sound of Freedom. Uh, it stars uh, uh, my good friend uh, Jim Caviezel, who's a really stout Christian patriot, another one who doesn't really care what the impact of his career is 
from his speaking the truth. I'm, I'm very excited about this, and I hope people will go out and see it. Yeah, I actually got to see the movie uh, three nights ago in Nashville. So uh, Jim Caviezel was in town. Tim Ballard was in town. The Angel Studios guys were in town. Uh, they, they had hit me up a, a couple of weeks earlier and said, hey, we'd love to have a screening in Nashville. Can you help us get the word out? I said, absolutely. So we got the word out. We thought it would be one theater full of people. It wound up being three theaters full of people. I mean, just packed. Uh, everybody wanting to see this film and i gotta tell you when that film is when it's over you walk out of the theater changed i mean the the glimpse into the absolute horrific nature of what's going on to with these kids uh out there in the world when you see it in that kind of a format and of course we're getting the sanitized version of it but even so you think about your own kids and think about what's going on out there every single day and every single zip code throughout our country and around the world. It, it makes you so angry and sick to your stomach that you are, you're hell bent to do something about it. So anybody that's out there, mom or dad, and I would say anybody above 16 years old, um, go get tickets to this. Uh, Angel.com has it. Soundoffreedom.com has it. Go get tickets, and we. this movie needs to be seen by everybody. You know, Jim, I'm, I'm sure he told you this, Roger, but, uh, you know, Jim Caviezel said there was roadblock after roadblock in front of this movie getting it funded and then getting theaters to agree to, to allow it to come in. I said, well, you know why that is? And he goes, why do you think it is? I said, because the, the Hollywood uh, entertainment industry is complicit with a lot of the stuff you're talking about. Not everybody in Hollywood, but a lot of them, a lot of them are involved in things that are terrible. And they don't want a movie like this to be seen because it exposes who all is involved and what's going on. It makes people wake up and open their eyes and ears. And let me tell you something. This movie, I think, is probably the most important movie maybe to ever come out. Maybe to ever come out, especially at this moment in time in American history. Folks, if you are just joining us, this is The Roger Stone Show. You are on WABC Radio, and I'm interviewing multi-platinum country and western hit generator, singer, songwriter, performer, patriot activist, John Rich, uh, and happy to have him here on this pre-4th of July weekend. John, uh, you are also an entrepreneur. I admire that. Uh, your new project redneck riviera is a nationwide brand of whiskey i've often thought wistfully about producing stone cold vodka but that's for <laughs> another day uh i now know i note uh, reading about this you're now in eleven thousand stores across the country uh but you're not putting this money in your pocket you have generated 1.6 million dollars to the folds of honor uh charity which puts kids through college who lost a parent in combat. Tell us about Redneck Riviera. So Redneck Riviera, it's a phrase that's been around since the early 60s. It's, it's what people would call the Gulf Coast back in the day. They still call it that. The joke is you can't afford to go to the French Riviera, so where are we going to go? We're going to go to the Redneck Riviera. We're going to go to the Blue Collar Beach. And so I, I actually trademarked that phrase uh, back in 2008, I started building this brand out. We have a state-of-the-art honky-tonk downtown in Nashville. 
on Broadway called the Redneck Riviera. And then, yes, it's a whiskey brand. 11,000 stores all over the U.S. RedneckRiviera.com has a store locator where you put in your zip code, and you'll fi- I promise you, you'll find a store very close to where you live. So, and you're in- incorrect on one thing. It's not that I don't keep any of the money. That $1.6 million is the tithe. So that's the money that we kick back on every single bottle that we sell. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a business. You know, I have 115 employees, and we have to make money. We have to generate and keep building. But the 1.6, that's the money that, that Redneck Riviera as a brand has generated. It's for kids who lost a parent in combat or who have a parent who's 100% disabled. To me, I could not think of a stronger way to say thank you for your service than to look after somebody's kid. As a dad myself, if you said, John, what can I ever do if something happens to you? I'd say, make sure my kids are all right. That's the first thing any parent would say. So we get back to Folds of Honor for that exact reason. And it's pretty awesome to think that there's young people going to college right now all around the U.S. whose scholarships are being subsidized through sales of my brand, Redneck Riviera. I'm I'm very proud of that. Uh, And I think that's one reason why the brand continues to do so well. It's American glass, American corks, American labels, and uh, it was my it was my take. I was always a crown royal guy, uh, Canadian blended whiskey, you know. And I said, "There's got to be an American blended whiskey. I don't need to be drinking Canada stuff." And so I came with Redneck Riviera American blended whiskey, and I've been very blessed, man. It's doing very, very well. Well, I stand corrected. I have scoured the Bible. You know, Jesus Christ uh, never was against capitalism or entrepreneurship or hard work. So uh, God bless you. Uh, Yes, you are entitled to make money. That's what America is about. That's the America we want to leave our kids, where they still have an opportunity to make it, where any American can make it. uh, And you have stood tall for that. I noticed that you were not even a little bit reticent to jump into the Bud Light controversy, why anybody would want to take one of the most popular beers in the country, by the way, I don't care for it, it's a little thin for me, uh, and (laughs) totally tank their brand in an attempt to appeal to a a market which is minuscule compared to the red-blooded American males who heretofore loved Bud Light. I saw Garth Brooks out there, whose music I don't appreciate. Uh, he was uh, he was vocal on this as well. But t- what's your take on this? Well, so I own a bar, a Redneck Riviera downtown in Nashville, and we sell a tremendous amount of beer down there. There's a lot of people coming to Nashville, and since the day we opened in 2018 until this controversy hit, the number one beer by far at Redneck Riviera was guess what? Bud Light. Number two wasn't even close. I mean, it was the lead horse. Well, when all this happened, uh, I get a call from my general manager down there, and he says, he goes, with what's going on with Bud Light, what do you want us to do with it? I said, don't do anything with it. Tell me if people are still buying it. Give it a week or two, and tell me if people are still buying it, and let the customers decide what they want to do. He goes, okay. Well, man, it wasn't seven or eight days later. He called me back, and he said, you won't believe it, but we've sold a total of zero Bud Lights. He said, and worse than that, people are coming in and seeing that we still have Bud Light, and they're turning around and walking out. What do you want me to do? I said, man, if if nobody's going to buy it, we gotta we got to put something else in there that they will buy. So we called the distributor, 
and they came first time I've ever seen a, a beer truck take beer out of a bar. I don't think that's ever happened before, but they picked up 118 cases of Bud Light and eight kegs of Bud Light that were untapped because we could not, you couldn't give it away. So why would they make a move like that? I honestly think the real story of that is that the majority of the people that work for Bud Light that really have been there a long time, I believe there's a lot of great people that work at that company. But when you let people into your company that are radicalized wokists, like the lady that they gave that position to, then all bets are off at that point. You cannot allow that because they're in there for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to get their ideology plastered all over this brand. That, that lady did not care about selling more beer. She cared about her ideology getting out there. And so consequentially, uh, uh, consequently the, all these people have now lost their livelihoods. Distributors that distribute that beer, uh, people that work for the company, thousands of them have lost their jobs, lost their businesses. Uh, they're getting absolutely killed. But at the end of the day, that's not cancel culture. Cancel culture is when somebody more powerful than you up the food chain tells you, shuts you off, turns your microphone off, turns your channel off. When the people respond, when everyday people stop spending their 15 or $20 on beer and they do it in mass, that, that's the real cancel. I mean, that's, that's the customer is king concept. And that's what they hit. And it, it's, it is an unbelievable thing to watch unfold. I don't believe in cancel culture. I'm not going to cancel Bud Light. I don't want somebody canceling me. But, buddy, when the customers speak and they make their decision, that is a final judgment. Uh, I saw you say uh, on Fox News that the cancel culture effort in America is nothing less than an effort to dismantle our country piece by piece. I really agree with that. Uh, you had a an anti-woke, a non-woke hit song that hit number one on iTunes. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, it's called Progress. Uh, it was number one for eight days, actually all genres, not just country. It was it was the number one most downloaded song of any genre anywhere. And uh, the line in the song says, stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. So stick your progress where the sun don't shine. So, you know, that's the nicest possible country way of saying, you know what, <laughs> you know. And I think uh, people heard that song and went, that is exactly how I feel. You know, progress, I guess it's I guess it's relative to what you consider is progress. I mean, there's the destruction of our country. Uh, what we see going on coast to coast, up one side and down the other, there's a there's a faction of people in America running this show right now that they do consider that progress the word progress itself if you look it up in the in the dictionary it says to move towards a goal to move towards an end so what are they moving towards what are they progressing toward if this is what they call progress well it looks like to me they're they're progressing toward the the annihilation of of the american dream and of the future of our country as it as it was founded, they want a different America. They want America to be on on a level, if not lower, playing field than a bunch of other nations. They want globalism. They want they want America just to be another one of the countries. No more America is the leader. 
No, no, those days are over. We got to bring America down to its knees. That's their version of progress. And guess what? In that, in those terms, it is progress to them. But to me, and I think to most Americans, I saw 80% of Americans think we're on the wrong track. Well, that's a good poll to see. I'm glad we're agreeing on that. We look at progress of leave me alone, let me work, let me raise my family, let me let me go out and gamble my time, my money, my future. Let me go exhaust my potential. Let me pursue happiness. That's progress. Just get out of my way, and the chips will fall where they're going to fall based on my own decisions and my own work ethic. That's real progress to me. Well, John, I have been a big fan of your work in Big and Rich. Uh, and then it occurred to me that you could team up with Robin Thick and call yourselves Thick and Rich. But then I looked <laughs> it up and found out that, that he's a woke leftist, so you can cancel that <laughs> idea right now. Uh, I, I know that you are uh, in Maine taking some time off on this uh, pre-4th of July weekend. I want you to know how much I really appreciate uh, your joining us today. Uh, if you had a message for all Americans on this pre-4th of July weekend, what, what would it be? This is a time of choosing. There is no fence riding allowed anymore. Uh, remember who founded the country. If you go look at the Declaration of Independence and you look at those signatures, they weren't just signing the Declaration of Independence. They were signing their own death warrants. If the British Empire caught anybody who signed that document, they were going to hang them from the trees in their own front yard, burn their house to the ground, imprison their family, and erase them from history. That is what they were actually risking. Liberty or death was not a hashtag, a website, or a bumper sticker. Liberty or death was the attitude it took to found the country. We, they are the shoulders that we have all been standing on all this time, and now we are going to be the shoulders that the next centuries stand upon in this country. This is the time you step forward. This is the time you, if they, if they come at you, they call you a bad name and they, they try to run you down. Good. That's exactly the outcome you're looking for. That will validate that you st stood up and said the right thing at the right moment. Stand up and be counted. That would be my message to America. All right. Uh, country and Western superstar, American patriot, father, husband, outspoken advocate for freedom in the U.S. Constitution, John Rich. We're grateful to you for being on the show today. I'm grateful to my good friend, General Michael Flynn, for suggesting that I reach out to you. Also want to help uh, thank my good friend, Clayton Q, up-and-coming country and Western uh, artist for helping facilitate this great interview. John, God bless you and Godspeed. God bless you. Thank you, Roger. Uh, this is the Roger Stone Show here on WABC Radio. Uh, coming up, uh, woke bureaucrats in New York City are waging a war on pizza. First they came for our kids, now they're coming for our pizza. Under proposed regulations, pizza ovens in New York City that are filed, fired by either coal or wood would be shut down. This means that some of the most famous pizza emporiums in New York City, like John's of Bleecker Street or Tantano's, would be forced to shutter. I say 
give me pizza or give me death. We're going to talk about the war on pizza uh, coming up. I also want to tell you that Trump lawyer Alina Haba, one of the most articulate and effective attorneys representing Donald Trump, is going to join us shortly on The Roger Stone Show. So don't go away. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. 